Thank you for listening to our Oppenheimer Let's Talk Future podcast series. In this episode, our guest is Dario Constantine, a senior associate at Lynn's Capital, where he researches and invests in advanced air mobility companies. Dario's interaction with drone industry entrepreneurs, operators, and experts have led to his insightful perspectives on the global market for drones, where the market is likely to go over the next decade, as well as the drivers that will influence it along the way. He also is an engineer by training and with a previous career as an aerospace engineer. Our host is Peter Cataray, Head of Sales and Marketing for Oppenheimer Asset Management. This episode was recorded on July 20th, 2021. Opinions expressed are those of Dario Constantine and are not intended to be a forecast of future events, a guarantee of future results, nor investment advice. Information expressed herein are solely those of the authors and participants and do not necessarily reflect the opinions, beliefs, and viewpoints of Oppenheimer. The opinions are subject to change without notice. Oppenheimer & Co. Inc. is not affiliated with Lens Capital. Please subscribe to our channel to instantly access previous episodes. Subscribing also means you won't miss out on new episodes with our thought leaders who are bringing you timely and relevant insights about the markets, investing, business, new technologies, and life in general. So Dario, thank you very much for joining me today and for sharing your thoughts about this fascinating topic. You define your area of focus and expertise beyond simply drones and talk about the advanced air mobility space. What does this mean? Thank you, Peter, for having me. Simply put, advanced air mobility refers to the broader ecosystem around the various types of drones that gather data by air, that fly goods to our homes, and will fly us one day around more economically than helicopters. So advanced air mobility includes the drones themselves, as well as the technologies and infrastructure required to make those systems a reality. So for most of us, I, I think myself included, this is a very futuristic conversation, but the reality is quite different and drones are really here today and they're a functioning part of the economy in a rather meaningful way. So what, what do you think about the scope of their involvement in the economy and what does the growth rate look like out the next three, five, even 10 years? Well, we estimate the global drone economy is around $16 billion today, which you know, more than half of that comes from the defense sector. Uh, by 2025, we see the global market more than doubling to around $40 billion and eventually $90 billion in economic activity uh, by 2030. Now, these are large numbers. We, we get there by the tremendous growth that we're currently seeing in the enterprise sector, which is driven by constant development of powerful AI and software solutions that are increasingly making drones more valuable to end users. And of course, by the latter half of the decade, we anticipate favorable regulatory changes around the world that will allow drone deliveries to scale, which could propel it to become the largest application by economic activity in the drone economy, more than $30 billion by 2030. This, of course, would bring about a leap forward in parcel logistics and societal learnings from that will pave the way for passenger drones to begin to scale by 2030 and beyond. So you talk about the air mobility space as global in nature. Is this really a U.S. phenomenon or is this global in its footprint? Advanced air mobility is certainly not niche to the United States. In fact, if we remove the large defense sector from consideration, the Asia Pacific region is slightly more drone economic activity than the U.S. And of course, that's due to the rise of drone usage in China, Japan, Australia, and in India, where drone usage became legalized in 2018. That being said, you know, when we look at the investment capital coming into advanced air mobility companies over the past five years, 
almost six billion of which, you know, many of our venture capital investments. Now, the United States has been the primary source of funds, and U.S.-based companies has been the primary recipient of funds. So that tells us that the United States private sector is an engine of joint innovation for the world. Dario, in, in researching this topic and reading some of the work that you've put out in the market, it's clear there are multiple channels of future growth in the drone space. You've written extensively about six clear, definable channels of future growth. So I'd like to spend a minute on a couple of the most powerful and perhaps most relevant. I think many people are aware of how drones are involved in the defense economy. I think that's been well publicized and people are quite familiar with it. But perhaps they're less familiar with how things are being used in enterprise and in logistics and in public safety. So let's spend a few minutes on those areas if we can. And let's start with the enterprise space in particular. You mentioned this is the fastest growing segment of the drone economy, but this is a really broad category and encompasses many things. So define the enterprise space for us, if you would, to start. So the enterprise segment includes hardware, software, and services that serve the commercial sector. And of course, the top industries that use them are construction, infrastructure maintenance, energy and communications, utilities, oil and gas, agriculture, mining, and videography, just to name a few of the main ones. And each of them have use cases that are constantly growing. So let's talk for a little bit about a couple of those components. Let's talk about infrastructure for just a moment. That's a huge topic today. And this technology is right at the heart of that conversation, bridge inspection, utility, oil and gas. Talk for just a minute about drones involved in this important infrastructure conversation. Right. Uh, two of the greatest benefits for drone-based inspection for infrastructure are the drone's ability to access places that are difficult to reach and the accompanying software's ability to produce high-resolution 3D digital twins of the structure so that asset owners can have archived records of the state of their infrastructure and can be readily re-examined as necessary. Take, for instance, the case of a cell tower operator that needs to perform an antenna audit or an inspection of a tower in Ohio. The manager is going to send a contractor, John, out to uh, the tower, and John's going to climb the tower up to 200 feet high and inspect it. But, you know, John knows over the past four years, you know, seven to eight tower climbers die annually because this is one of the most dangerous jobs in the United States. And, you know, because it's so dangerous, he has to take his time and, and it can take him up to five hours to drive out there, climb and inspect the tower. So what John would prefer to do is to have a John autonomously scan every facet of the structure, software generate a 3D model of it. And with the help of machine learning, identify anomalies from the ground without even having to climb it. In fact, he'll only have to climb the tower if repairs are needed. You could apply this to many other use cases, but the drone dramatically improves the quality and, and the safety of employees' work. So from a business perspective, combining that rare potential cost savings and an improvement of the quality of the employee experience is obviously very powerful. That's, that's very interesting. One of the other areas that I was fascinated to learn about drone application is in agriculture. So agriculture, obviously, margins are very tight. Cost savings can be hugely beneficial, whether it's data gathering or crop monitoring or agrochemical. But I was very interested to hear in this huge market how drones are being applied in agriculture. So is, are there farmers all over the world using drones right now? Uh, so the short answer to that question is that farmers are not the primary customers of drone-based agriculture, at least from what the data we've seen. But large agrochemical and seed companies are. Most farmers, unfortunately, don't have the discretionary income to invest directly in drone-based precision agriculture, but crop health assessments and planting analysis are still incredibly important to, you know, improving the yield. So, you know, large agronomy companies have assumed this task 
and bundle their services with like a seeds or chemical services with existing services that they already provide and sell to farmers so that they can inform their own R&D for what's working and also guide their future sales efforts. So in the agricultural space, are, are drones actually doing the hard labor in the field? Are drones, you know, used as crop dusters? Are they putting seeds down or are they really for observation and in data gathering and logistics and those types of things? Uh, the primary use of drones in the space are for observation and gathering data. Uh, but we've seen drones being used to do anything from crop dusting or crop, crop spraying all the way to picking up fruits and putting them into bins. But the economics hasn't worked out so that you know drones can spray a field more economically than an aircraft. But as the technology improves, as, as batteries become more efficient, we we likely see that be taken up by autonomous aircraft as well. So one of the interesting sort of footnotes in the enterprise space is the development in 2016, which is the FAA really changing the game on commercial drone use. There's an important development in, in 2016. So share what that was and really how that's begun to change the game for commercial application. That's right. Prior to 2016 in the United States, using a drone for commercial purposes was prohibited, if not illegal. However, you know, regulatory changes meant that industries that immediately benefited from using drones as simply a piloted flying camera could instantly benefit. So that meant construction, real estate, and journalism got early starts. And over the past five years, we've received more regulatory clarity and new technology and software has been developed. So we've seen more industries have found benefits from using drones. And we estimate that the drone enterprise economic activity today in the United States is roughly about $1 billion annually. There is still that specific, what, what I learned as called the line of sight component for application, which is really the limitation on how drones can be used. Where does that discussion stand? And maybe you can just share a little bit on what that means and how important that discussion is. So first I'll start by defining what beyond visual line of sight means. It means that an aircraft or a drone can fly beyond the, the sight of the person who's operating it. So they can operate the aircraft without actually seeing it in the sky. And right now you can't do this in the United States without having a special waiver, which is somewhat difficult to get. So fortunately, uh, regulatory agencies in the US are cognizant that failure to act and a reasonable time frame will mean that United States companies could fall behind. So agencies like the FAA have been collaborating with uh, private industry for years now to develop a framework that is safe for the public and clear for private industry to understand. And this is incredibly important because it would allow autonomous flights of, of drones to fly you know, long distances. And I can't emphasize enough how important drone autonomy is for the industry to scale. Uh, let's take, for example, a power utility manager named Amy who is on duty after a severe weather event caused some power lines to fall down and therefore a massive power outage. Now imagine a world in which she had a drone docking station remotely positioned every few miles along the transmission line so that she can remotely deploy the closest drone to get a view on the damage before sending a crew of linemen out there to fix it. So, you know, she'd be able to see that a tree has toppled over on the lines and, you know, perhaps damaged three poles. So she can now inform her linemen what equipment and replacement parts to bring, where exactly to go, and what to expect before they get there in order to bring the power back online faster. And of course, that means more savings or economic savings to society in doing that. So, you know, a world like this is only possible with beyond visual line of sight flight and, and autonomous drones. Recognizing there needs to be a regulatory framework for this approval, is the technology there for autonomous drones? 
right, so the technology also has to improve to to meet this requirement. So we need better technology around detect and avoids so that the aircraft can detect obstacles or dangers and avoid them. More battery life to extend the capabilities or the the range of the drone to do this. So it's certainly developments that need to occur on both ends and, and they should converge on each other. So one of the other very important verticals that holds potential growth is the area of public safety. And obviously the benefits to public safety are real and tangible and budgets are stretched and cost savings are critical to municipalities. And, and I read a comparison in one of your pieces of research about a fully outfitted drone relative to a police helicopter with the cost difference being in the million and a half to almost $3 million per unit range, which is obviously very hard to ignore for a cost-conscious municipality. So let's just talk for a minute, how many agencies, police, fire department are using drones today and what's sort of the size of that market from an investment perspective or a potential growth perspective? You know, many agencies are actually using drones today. Of course, there are some agencies where drones are actually banned from their use, so they haven't used drones a lot in the inner work. We think that the market for drones could be up to hundreds of millions of dollars in the United States. It certainly won't be as large as the body camera market for police officers, of course, because they won't be as ubiquitous as, as body cams. But we certainly see this being you know, a relatively sizable market. One of the important points or, or parts of this conversation really has to do with the public's comfort with the use of drones by police and by fire departments and others. What is the state of that conversation and how relevant is that to the development of some of this technology? It's incredibly important. I mean, officials have to be very sensitive to the community concerns of their you know, constituents or else they will face public backlash. I mean, drones cannot be used for I got you scenarios to catch people in the wrong when they didn't know that they were being watched. I mean, because the, uh, people will feel very uncomfortable if they feel as though they're living in a surveillance state or if they think their police force is evolving into a robocop. So agencies must engage their communities and have an agreed upon terms of use. Share a few examples of how current agencies are using drones. Is it for pure surveillance? Is it for active police response? What are they actually using them for day by day? Well, the primary use for drones is really to ensure uh, safer policing for both the community and the first responders themselves. So we see drones are being used for search and rescue crime scene photography, disaster response, or being used in hazardous chemical environments where there might be an exposure. Imagine a world where a firefighter can arrive on a scene in which a home is engulfed, unfortunately, but pulling a drone with a thermal imaging camera, they can detect portions of the home that are hot spots that need to be extinguished or safe spots that they can enter and potentially rescue someone. So, you know, there, there's one aspect of the cost savings, but majority of it, it's, it's going to be the situational awareness that helps to make better decisions. And you mentioned body cameras and, and other technologies. This is sort of an interesting example of where the software side and the hardware side come into play. So do you foresee this evolving for municipalities and for other users to sort of the cell phone model where the hardware of a drone is kind of the commodity and the software and the analysis and the data that can come from that is where the real benefit is? We think that's very likely. The drone is going to be commoditized as the hardware becomes, you know, capable of doing the essential things. You know, ultimately, it will be the software that adds value over time because, you know, software that helps identify things that, for instance, first responders may have missed or software that archives data so that they can be easily retrieved or software that generates reports so that first responders can spend more time in their communities. You know, these are where 
the value from having a drone will come from long term, and we expect those to capture most of the value. So let's move on to logistics. And I think this is an area that most people view as having the most potential growth. And I think, you know, many people have envision a world where they click a button and Amazon delivers a package to their front door via drone and just a matter of moments. So I think that's that's part of the conversation I want to have. And I also want to discuss sort of in this post-COVID world, since we've had time to reflect, the disruptions of the supply chain were an incredibly powerful part of the pandemic we just went through. And drones are very much part of that supply chain discussion. So let's touch on logistics a bit, and maybe you can just high level, give us a, an idea of the potential you see in this space. I, we, we think it's, it can be a huge potential. In fact, you know, we, we anticipate it being one of the largest applications for drones out there. But it's important to note that, you know, a clear regulatory framework is absolutely essential. Um, you know, for the delivery drones to scale, they must communicate or be visible to other airbound traffic. They must be able to fly autonomously and, they, you know, they must be monitored by multiple, by a person who's also monitoring multiple drones in order to be economical. And how far along are we in those building blocks? Are those conversations at the beginning phases? Are they in application at this point? How, how are those conversations progressing around? Uh, we're certainly seeing pilots in place. Of course, the, at least in the United States, the FAA is actively involved in approving some pilots and monitoring as they come along. But of course, we have a lot of way to go in terms of technology, in terms of battery life and being able to fly longer distances. By 2025, we expect the range of a drone to be 15 or so miles. And of course, that's to get to a destination and back. But one could argue that's too short if you're talking about rural deliveries. So it certainly has some way to go. We think by 2025, we'll start to see the battery technologies come into place. And by 2030, the industry will fully scale. It typically takes a private supporter or a private industry to push this type of technological development. So there are some obvious users, Amazon being one, but who are really the leaders pushing for this type of development and pushing for the implementation of this technology? You know, there are many companies that have large logistic challenges that are involved, as you mentioned, UPS and Amazon. But there are also a lot of other technology companies like Google Wing that's, you know, taking a lead. And, and there are many venture capital-backed companies that are, that are leading the way. In terms of the supply chain, where do drones and drone technology touch the supply chain currently? And as you look at the many links in the supply chain, where is the potential for growth and use of drones? So we think drones are uniquely suited for the most expensive portion of uh, parcel logistics, and that's the last mile, uh, particularly in places that are least profitable. Those are the rural and low density areas. So the last mile space is certainly the low hanging fruit in terms of the profitability. But one of the things that's interesting is that sort of middle mile space, which is really what would compete with trains and semis and long haul trucking and those types of things. So where does that development stand? Sure, I mean, semi, semi trucks are, you know, the kings of the middle mile logistics, uh, especially when you consider a world of autonomous trucks in the future, you know, they're likely to stay that way for low cost and time insensitive goods. Now, you know, I want you to imagine preparing for an evening with your friends and family at home and realizing that you forgot something. So you you go shopping online on your phone and you order something, that, that thing that you forgot, and you see that it will arrive in three hours. And that's pretty impressive, right? You know, if that item needs to be transferred to a distribution center that's closer to your home for being sent on the last mile logistics drone, there's little chance that loading it onto a semi-truck and driving it will allow it to reach in time. So for those rapid, you know, middle mile logistics challenges, you know, that's where we think the middle mile drones will, will beat semi-trucks. So Dario, let's move to 
the discussion that I think is probably the most futuristic and probably the most Jetson part of this conversation. And from a business perspective, perhaps the smallest and most, most niche, but that's the passenger drone. How far away are we from having a situation where in this, you know, on-demand real-time economy that we're using drones to cruise over Manhattan traffic on a, on a Sunday or Friday afternoon on the way home from work? Is that far off from now? <laughs> Unfortunately, not soon enough, and it is some time away. But, you know, as you say, it's the most Jetsons of the conversation. And um, consequently, we think it will take the longest to be fully available to the masses. You know, the leading passenger drone companies have uh, publicly announced that they'll have demonstrations as early as 2023 or 2024 available to um, paying customers. That's exciting, but we, we don't think that broad-based adoption won't take hold until the latter end of the decade. Are the traditional airline companies or other types of passenger companies focusing on this type of investment as well, or is this a new set of an entrepreneurs and, and investors building that business? Well, most of the companies in the space are, you know, ambitious entrepreneurs that are building these businesses, but we've seen some of the promising customers are actually airliners that a lot of regional markets in this country has un unfortunately been underserved because it's not economical to serve them with jets. So many airlines think that using these new aircraft will help them service those markets more uh, profitably. So Dario, thank you. So to summarize where we are in the conversation, we're really at a phase where number one, the technology is beginning to take hold to implement and grow the drone space. Two, we're beginning to see a broadening of the use case of drones. And three, we're beginning to see a more robust regulatory conversation around the drone economy. So in summary, it appears that we have the baseline for future growth. Spend just a moment, if you could, on what you think is the outlook going forward for the next few years and, and how you would summarize the opportunity on the drone space. Right. I mean, we, we've had a great discussion and I think the opportunity is great, but it's important to note these technologies are incredibly exciting, but it would only be possible if the public truly wants it. Public will only want it if they stay informed on the space. I encourage everyone to stay up to date on the developments in the drone economy and, and consider how these developments can improve our lives going forward. Dario, I want to thank you for joining me today. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Future. Don't miss the next episode where we'll explore a variety of market-moving ideas and perspectives, bringing our firm's financial thought leadership directly to you. Please hit the subscribe button today. Thank you.